Welcome back to the Devin Nunes podcast here on a fake news Friday <laughs> with my special guest, Julie Kelly. You know, we had this scheduled, Julie, you know, earlier in the week or actually last week. And we wanted you to talk, come and talk about all the great work you've been doing with on January 6th. You've been one of the best investigative reporters. You've been on the podcast several times, kind of giving us an update on the Jan 6 prisoners, the judges involved, the motions, the people being held in in uh, in jail continuously. But then, as would have it, uh, it's Friday. So it's always the day that the deep state drops the fake news. So we're going to start off today. I want to cover three subjects for everybody. Number one, thank you for tuning in and, if, and put your questions in the queue, either on my True Social post or uh, on Rumble in the, in the chat. And we'll try to get to those questions uh, during the show or, or at least at the end of the show. But today we're going to have three topics because of the fake news, Julie. One, we're going to start with Garland just appointed a special counsel to go after Hunter Biden. Wow. Well, probably not so much. Uh, we'll get to the bottom of that. Then two, we have this great ruling for Trump uh, and his team because the ruling came out and it, it rubber stamped what Trump wanted. So he didn't lose his rights to free speech and his ability to post on true social. Well, not so much. And then we'll come back. Uh, you've done some great work unearthing some of the video with real feds. I've seen some of the video on the outside of the Capitol and on the inside of the Capitol. And, and we'll we'll come back to that, which is what we originally wanted to start start with. But uh, before we begin, Julie, you have anything to uh, just to start out with? Well, thank you so much for having me on and thank you for everyone watching. I always look forward to questions, so hope we can get to those at the end. Um, but yes, the big news today, in addition to the hearing in Judge Tanya Chutkin's D.C. courtroom related to Jack Smith's January 6th case against Donald Trump and debate over protective order, uh, was the announcement at uh, 1215 today by Attorney General Merrick Garland that he was going to appoint U.S. Attorney David Weiss as a special counsel to continue what they say is an ongoing investigation into Hunter Biden. Right. So we'll, so, right. We'll get to that. Um, but you can follow, Oh, by the way, Julie, since you were last on, uh, you now are writing specifically on Substack, mm -hmm. uh, declassified with Julie Kelly at Substack. How can they sign up for your, uh, for your content? Well, thanks so much. It's uh, declassified with Julie Kelly at Substack. So if anyone goes to either one of my accounts there on Truth Social, there's a link and you could sign up to be a free or paid subscriber. And all of my work goes right to your inbox so you don't miss anything. And I've got some hot pieces up this week, um, not just about what's going on with the J6 cases, but also this crazy uh, court ruling that upheld Jack Smith uh, demand for Donald Trump's Twitter uh, archive from the company. So that was a crazy story that came out this week too. So I explained that in my latest piece. And just so everybody knows, Julie Kelly was, you know, six, seven years ago, I guess, I don't know, 2016, 17. Uh, Julie was living in Chicago area with her two daughters, I think. I hope I didn't get that wrong. Yes. Um, and husband and she was a great writer and she was writing about really nice things like <laughs> cooking and wine and all this wonderful stuff. And then she noticed that, hey, the government might be a little bit corrupt. And she started to investigate the Department of Justice and the FBI, the Russia hoax. And she did some early uh, work on there. But uh, Julie, we're glad that uh, you have made the transition into writing about government corruption. We would like to live in a country where you could go back to writing about food and wine and all the things that you and I uh, love love to do in our, our spare time right. but unfortunately we're not we're not there yet right so well, let's that's true. unfortunately so, all right so let's start out with our great attorney general Merrick Garland for today to announce the appointment of David Weiss as a special counsel consistent with the Department of Justice regulations governing such matters so short clip there, Julie. Wow. Hunter Biden's in trouble. 
Right. You would think so. I mean, that's what Merrick Garland wants people to believe, right? That that he's independent and he's going to follow the facts and the rule of law wherever it goes. But yet he appointed David Weiss, who we know was engaged in this sweetheart plea deal with Hunter Biden. Um, and now not only did Merrick Garland appoint David Weiss as the special counsel, but David Weiss filed a, a, filed a motion today saying that the government and Hunter's uh, defense attorneys could not come to any agreement to move the plea deal forward. So now David Weiss is referring the tax issues to both the Central District of California and the District of Columbia, where the tax crimes actually occurred and where the investigations actually should have taken place. But you'll recall, Devin, the IRS whistleblower said when they brought these tax matters to both D.C. U.S. Attorney Matthew Graves, the Biden appointee who's prosecuting all of the January 6th cases, and then the U.S. Attorney in Central California, both of them declined to proceed with any sort of investigation. So I'm not really sure where that's going to go in either one of those jurisdictions. There's no way that Matthew Graves, uh, the Biden appointee, who, as I said, not only is he a Biden appointee, his his wife runs a huge nonprofit, left-wing nonprofit in D.C. She's been to the um, Biden White House 30 times in the past two and a half years. You really think Matthew Graves is going to do any investigation into Hunter Biden's uh, tax crimes for 2014 and 15 when he was starting to hide or not report the income he was getting from overseas interests, including Burisma? So those are the two things that happened today related to Hunter Biden. But as you know, this is going to be a cover-up operation to keep these documents, records, and testimony out of the hands of congressional, Republican congressional investigators. That's one issue. It's to stop Congress from being able to get access to these documents, create multiple rabbit holes that the Republicans would have to go through because they'll say, oh, well, this is classified. Well, you got to get approval from this U.S. attorney, that U.S. attorney, this special counsel. Yes, that's all true. Uh, but in addition to that, Julie, what they're also covering up are, is really what this, you know, everybody focuses on Biden, Hunter Biden, Joe Biden. Uh, yes, biggest corruption scandal in U.S. history. The fact mm -hmm. that the Biden family has taken tens of millions of dollars that we know of for sure at this point, likely ended up in the hands of Joe Biden in one way or another with the tax evasion, with the firearms, all of that. Biggest political scandal for one political family in U.S. history, bar none. But what's really happening here is the DOJ and the FBI are covering up for their involvement in that criminal enterprise. Mm -hmm. So the irony that they want to talk about RICO statutes and conspiracy, correct. It all started with all of these Obama-Biden people that were in the Department of Justice or in the FBI or in the White House back in the 14, 15, 16 timeframe, mm -hmm. aided in covering up the IRS, Lois Lerner, targeting conservatives, covered up Benghazi, uh, covered up how the Department of Defense lied about uh, al-Qaeda's presence in, in Iraq. All of these things are intertwined and interrelated because there are so many people that are currently at the DOJ and the FBI that have been involved in this criminal enterprise for years. And so that's why you know I've been uh, very consistent with, with my uh, thought process with the Republicans who are running this investigation is you have to Everybody gets excited about uh, impeach Biden, impeach Biden. Well, if you go do that, Biden's probably not going to be the nominee anyway. It doesn't mean he shouldn't be impeached, but you're going to let skate the whole criminal enterprise that exists below it. And I'm not just talking about Hunter Biden, the kids and all of that. You've got all of these people who are intricately involved in all of this going back to, to at least 2016. Well, um, you know, there's an interesting figure, Devin, who was head of DOJ's public corruption unit for four and a half years. Oh, oh. yeah. yeah. Uh, has a, a very generic name. Yes. Very like, common like name. Jack, Jack, Jack uh, Smith. Jones. Jack no. Smith. That's right. Oh, Jack Smith. Yes. There he is. That's right. Him. So, Julie, just so we're joking here for all the listeners uh, listening later on audio or watching live on Rumble. Julie, um, what you're getting at is, is where was Jack Smith back in the early 2010, 11, 12, 13 timeframe? 
Yes. So there he is, Jack Smith. Um, he was head of this corruption unit from August of 2010 until through January of 2015, meaning as the Biden family was starting their international bribery quid pro quo pay to play scheme, uh, it was all happening right under Jack Smith's nose. Now he was in Washington, D.C. He was at Maine Justice. And it's not like he was not paying attention. Maybe he wasn't reading the headlines in 2014 about not just Hunter Biden, but Devin Archer, whose business partner was Christopher Hines, the son of the Secretary of State, John Kerry. So these, you know, princelings are going all over the world, swooping up millions of dollars from China, Kazakhstan, Russia, Ukraine. But Jack Smith apparently couldn't be bothered with looking into what was happening there, couldn't look into the dozens of trips that Hunter Biden was taking with his father on Air Force Two, including six of them to China, uh, also getting headlines for business that Rosemont Seneca was landing in China. Um, no, he turned his attention away from that. He was prosecuting Bob, uh, Virginia Governor Bob McDonald and his wife. A prosecution, by the way, that was overturned unanimously by the Supreme Court. That's actually very difficult to do. Um, mm -hmm. Also got a hung jury for the trial against John Edwards, former presidential candidate and Democrat senator. But there's Jack Smith. You know, we're told by everyone, Devin, Andrew Weissman and Barbara McQuaid and Frank Vingulzi and everyone at MSNBC that Jack Smith is the by the book, tough nose. Nothing gets past Jack Smith except Hunter Biden, Devin Archer, and Christopher Hines' uh, operation that they started in 20, in 2009. So um, it would be nice, I think, if Republicans had a few questions for Jack, Jack Smith, his knowledge of what was happening at the time and why he did not open a separate investigation when he had the chance. Yeah, and dating back to also the Lois Lerner fiasco where he stayed, right. you know, that was covered up. Um, and then it's not like you 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 bring up a good point. Um you know, I unfortunately had to waste a lot of my life, not only on the Russia hoax, but also on the Ukraine impeachment hoax, investigating that. Right. And when when all of these accusations came out that Donald Trump was looking at Ukraine corruption, well, number one, anybody who ever served in Congress and worked on foreign policy issues always knew that Ukraine was corrupt and it was always a problem. So that's just on the natural. But also there happened to be a couple fake news outlets that are very prestigious in Washington, D.C. with fake news reporters. Now, where do they get this information in 2015? Why was it put out there into the public in 2015 about the Biden's involvement with Burisma? Oh, wait. Biden was thinking about running for president against Hillary Clinton. Is it possible that maybe Hillary Clinton's campaign had planted those stories <laughs> that with the fake news that came out in the fake news. But you may remember when we brought up those stories um, to the at the time during the Ukraine impeachment hoax, no matter how many times we said it, I said it in public forums uh, you know, on on in television interviews. We put the we would put the stories up on the screen. Hey, guys, we didn't get this from, uh, I don't know, Rudy Giuliani and, and all, what other conspiracy theories they had. We got it from you the fake news. And everybody has known for years that the that Ukraine is full of corruption. So the fact that Donald Trump would say, uh, yeah, you guys might have a corruption problem over there. You probably should get that to who? Our Department of Justice. Well, it ends up, what do we know, Julie? They did get it to the Department of Justice and the Department of Justice didn't do Jack Smith with it. <laughs> well said. Yes, that's right. And I mean, we know from Senator Ron Johnson's report uh, in September of 2020 that was released really detailing all of the Biden family's connections uh, to all of these foreign entities and business uh, alleged business officials, um, that there was alarm even in the State Department. George Kent, I know you're familiar with him because I think you interviewed or interrogated him a few times. He was a key figure on behalf of the government in uh, Donald Trump's first impeachment, um, he actually said that he expressed alarm internally once he found out that Hunter Biden was on the Burisma board. And they even took this up to the vice president's office himself. But you don't even have to go that far back. In, in May of 2014, the White House and the State Department 
were under questions from reporters asking if there was a conflict. So it's not like this was something happening behind the scenes. There were headlines everywhere. Uh, Jen Psaki was asked about it because she was spokeswoman for the State Department. Jay Carney, the White House press secretary, was asked directly about it in May of 2014 as well. Of course, they avoided, successfully ducked all of those questions. Um, but Jack Smith, head of the most powerful office in the Department of Justice, tasked with investigating government officials and their associates for public corruption, he and his 30-plus attorneys at DOJ just happened to not read the Washington Post headlines or New York Times headlines or all of the headlines or even watching White House press briefings talking about that. So obviously, Jack Smith at that point was part of the cover-up of what was happening with Hunter Biden and his father. That that look that's that's exactly right, and we'll you know, and, and there's so much more to on the the. The larger scale, when I say you have to look at the whole criminal enterprise, Jack Smith is right in the middle of all of it. That's right. And then many of those names you mentioned, they were involved in this the during the Ukraine impeachment, even though our government, DOJ and FBI, are sitting on information. John Solomon broke uh, news also that the State Department and a lot of the people that testified before Congress also lied. Now, these are third and fourth uh, down figures. But most of the people that were supposed good State Department people that came in and testified ab uh, about Burisma, um, look, they lied to Congress. Um, I, I say that I was there. I was there when they lied. And now that I look at the emails that are now available that we couldn't get until after, I don't know, it took Judicial Watch. And uh, we had Tom Fitton on uh, uh, here a little while, a few weeks ago. Um, it took them you know, years to get this information. Oh, and lo and behold, you had they were getting all of these people to lie. So. That's why I say, okay, Hunter impeachment or a, a Biden impeachment inquiry. Yes, no problem. I mean, look, there's, there's, this is the biggest political uh, corruption scandal in history. But if you only go after Biden and Hunter Biden, you are going to miss the underlying problem. And Biden didn't set all this up. It all goes back to Obama. It all goes back right. to Obama and his people that are all there. So there's, look, there's probably some two dozen that need to be investigated. Many of them are in the Biden White House or just mm -hmm. left the Biden White House, are at the Department of Justice now or are, are at the FBI or some of our figures that we know during the Russia hoax who Durham let skate are probably also involved in this in this, too. Right. Well, look at who is Deputy Attorney General right now, Lisa Monaco. Um, you know, as you know, she was central to promoting the Russia collusion hoax. She's the one in December of 2016 who made the announcement that the intelligence community was going to be looking at um, Russia's alleged uh, efforts to interfere in the election and help Donald Trump win. So she is running the day-to-day -day operation at DOJ. And guess what? She was also at DOJ for two and a half years at the same time Jack Smith was there. So these are longtime lifers at DOJ. They're Democratic operatives disguised as federal prosecutors, just like a Robert Mueller type. And you're telling me we're supposed to believe that Lisa Monaco isn't in communication with Jack Smith on a regular basis? Because all Jack Smith did, Devin, was take the existing prosecutors, Tom Windham and that group and the investigators who were already working on the January 6th case and the classified documents case. He took all of them. He didn't pull people from independent other or from law firms or even from right, other right. U.S. attorney's office. All they did was change letterhead. This is nothing right. like independent. Yeah, you think, right. You think if you want to do something independent, you would one, not get anybody that's even near Washington, D.C., get somebody who comes in and, you know, they might it might be believable if you picked out, you know, some 30 year uh, agent, uh, a couple agents and, uh, and and prosecutor, maybe someone who had just retired. I mean, look, you could even go to a, um, you know, a retired district attorney that maybe has some U.S. attorney you know, experience. But no, they don't they don't do that. Uh, and I'll do always, always to the same people. Always, they always fish from the same trough. And, oh, magically, these same people will get pulled up. I'll do you one better. Molly Gaston or Gaston and J.P. Cooney. Um, are now on Jack Smith's team, and they are the lead prosecutors on the January 6th case. Both of those 
individuals worked for the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office and they signed the letter letting Andrew McCabe and his attorneys know that they would not be prosecuting him for lying to federal investigators um, before the 2016 election. So now you've got two federal prosecutors who let Andy McCabe a criminal, admitted criminal, because he said he did lie under oath three times when uh, Michael Horowitz, the DOJ inspector general, was investigating him. Um, but they are the ones who sent a letter saying, we will not prosecute. We consider this matter closed. And now here they're handling the January 6th case against Donald Trump. Just, I mean, swamp isn't even the right word. It yeah. has to and be then, something worse. And then magically, magically, what do the, all those people get? The ones that actually then the ones that actually can no longer be in the pond and, and get fished out by DOJ or FBI to, to be propped into DOJ or FBI, the ones that had to leave, they magically appear uh, with great fake news contracts where they get to be pundits uh, right. you know, consistently. Oh, and what's the other thing they get? Big book contracts. Yep. Somehow they manage for books that don't sell. <laughs> they managed to get half a million, million. It's even rumored that, that one of them got a $4 million book contract. And, you know, so there's a whole, this is what I'm saying. How's that happening? Who sits there at a book company that says, um, yeah, we're going to give Mr. Lovebird here, uh, we're going to give him uh, half a million dollars for a book that nobody's going to buy. Oh, that sounds like a good idea. Sure. Right. Like those are public companies. Like who's writing those checks to these people? Um, it's, right. it, you know, and meanwhile, you know, I think it's, it's hard for any, uh, center right person trying to tell the truth to get a book contract, even to even get any advance, oh, much less, sure. much less to get the types of advances that get into the millions of dollars that you're, that you're talking about. Um, okay. So it's fake news Friday. Um, we would like for it never to be fake news Friday, but it always is fake news Friday, unfortunately with, with our, our government, um, so we covered that this decision by the judge today um, is, or the, the, the decision to uh, put a pro special prosecutor in charge of Hunter Biden is, is fake news. Uh, but let's get to the second fake news story of the day, which even I got uh, initially hoodwinked by. Um, and that was that on the initial look at the decision by the, the judge today, Judge Ch Chuckin, I think you say her name, is that right? Yes, there she is. So it, it sounded like that they were going to allow Donald Trump to continue to post on True Social and to continue to exercise his First Amendment rights. It all sounded great because Donald Trump's attorneys had put in um, an order uh, that they thought that the president, former President Trump could live by. But, Julie, even I was fooled because <laughs> there was something more. You had to read the fine print, and I should have known better. Well, that's okay, because I was following it as uh, reporters in D.C. were covering it. Of course, you have to be in Washington, D.C. to cover these trials, be in the courtroom or the media room. So I was just following the reporters who are. So what she did was a little bit of sleight of hand is she did go along with Donald Trump's proposed protective order. There's a big debate in this case. Uh, the government basically wants all of the materials kept um, or classified or designated as sensitive material. Get this, Thomas Windham, who I just said is a lead prosecutor, he told the judge today that, yes, most of the evidence, the discovery in this January 6th case is sensitive material. Really? First of all, you cut and pasted most of the indictment from the January 6th Select Committee. Also, there's 830 pages probably that you're lifting that information that you're going to be used in what could possibly be sensitive more games by Jack Smith and DOJ trying to not just prevent Donald Trump from discussing the discovery evidence, but concealing it from the American people and any motions or hearings, et cetera. So Tanya Chutkin, to her teeny tiny bit of credit, said, well, I don't believe that this broad protective order is necessary. Um, that, you know, not everything should be considered sensitive. But then what she did, so she adopted Donald Trump's team's um, proposal for sensitive materials. But then she went on to say that transcripts and witness testimony, recordings, et cetera, would all be considered sensitive. So she said, OK, well, I'll go along with sensitive materials. But now these all these buckets of discovery will be considered sensitive, if that makes sense to people. So it was a little bit of a sleight of hand on her part. Furthermore, what she did, which is even more alarming, 
is, of course, Donald Trump had to sign release conditions. And one of the conditions is you will not intimidate or threaten um, or, co or coerce wit any witnesses in this case. So she sort of suggested at Jack Smith's team's behest um, that he can't really discuss or, or uh, post anything about any of the witnesses in this case. Now, keep in mind, there are hundreds of witnesses in this case, including Mike Pence. Mike Pence is one of Donald Trump's GOP primary opponents. So what they were what they were hinting at is that any post, any discussion about Mike Pence could be considered coercing or intimidating or threatening a witness for which she can haul him back into court, charge him with contempt and violating release conditions, fine him, imprison him. I mean, this is the contempt trap that they are laying for Donald Trump. DOJ well, the good, news, the good news is, is that I don't think that Mike Pence is going to be able to make his way to Washington because anytime soon, because he's still at the gas station uh, pumping gas. Pretending to pump gas. Right? Yes. For those people who haven't seen his uh, commercial where he uh, pulls up this red truck and then sure. magically just grabs the hose, doesn't put a credit <laughs> card in or anything, and then just puts mystery right. gas into his truck. So he's still stuck somewhere out there in Indiana. I don't know that he'll be able to make it right. um, very far with uh, with that capability. But anyway, just that was kind of funny from this week that, that happened. Yeah. So Julie, anything else we have on this judge uh, before? I mean, because we do have the, you know, she also was horrible to these January 6th yes. uh, defendants that, uh, you know, she went above and beyond in the sentencing of Jan of the Jan 6 defendants, even above what the DOJ was asking for. Um, and I want to get okay. to that because you've done so much work um, with the video uh, that you've gone through uh, from the Capitol on Jan 6. Uh, but anything last before we move there on the judge that you want to say? Um, I will have a very deep dive into Tanya Tuckin in a few weeks and her words today that she's not going to let politics enter her courtroom. Um, I think she's going to be eating some of those words after I uh, get done with this investigative report on her comments in, in these January 6th cases. I also happened to go into her courtroom one day when she was sentencing one of the few defendants who actually went to trial in her court room because as you just pointed out, she's known as the toughest sentencer. And she, uh, so this man went to trial and uh, Tanya Chutkin, who was born in Jamaica, was highly offended that this uh, American citizen took advantage of his constitutional rights to go to trial and she punished him accordingly. So that will be part of my piece as well. Um, but uh, when I found out that she was the judge, I said, wow, you'd be hard pressed to do worse than Tanya Chutkin, maybe Beryl Howell, who of course is working behind the scenes as chief judge, which I point out in my piece on her Twitter ruling, um, you'd be hard pressed to, for Trump to have found a worse judge than Tanya. Yeah, Trump the, the sad the sad part about this, and we'll get the first clip ready on uh, on Jones uh, that, that I want to walk through. But uh, you know, it's bad enough that the Department of Justice and the FBI have been totally uh, hijacked and taken over, but you're also seeing it leak into the courts. Um, you know, it, with the, just think about the Supreme Court leak. Of course, they never found the leaker. Mm -hmm. um, but the courts, I think, now are anybody who was appointed or should almost all that were appointed, not all, not, not every single one. But the Obama and Biden appointees are exactly there. They become a lot of them have become very politically active on the court. Um, and I think that's what you what you see here. So, Julie. For people that are going to listen to this later on audio, we're going to have we're going to play one tape. Um, it's with a guy last a guy named Jones. I don't know his first name, Michael. Uh, but but he's outside the Capitol, um, and we're going to play that video real quick. Um, for those of you watching on Rumble, you'll be able to see it. Um, but then we'll come back to Julie and we'll have her explain what happened outside the Capitol with Mr. Jones, um, and and we'll go from there. So let's play the first clip of Jones outside the Capitol.
Wow. So uh, that's some explosive video. I had not seen it. So those of you who listen to audio later, go back. Um, I think maybe you might have that on your Substack. those videos, Julie. I do. Uh, but two, two gentlemen, Jones and Pizzola, uh, clearly are already, when I because I, I, I know these locations because of my time in Washington, but they already went past the first uh, uh, layer of, of the, the bike racks that were there trying to stop people from getting in. And then it looked like I mean, they're right up against the Capitol Hill police uh, yelling and uh, pushing people forward. And then the one I think that was most uh, interesting was he's he's actually involved in pushing the the final gate or the final fencing barrier, not even fencing, um, as they try to break through to the on onto essentially the Capitol from the Capitol grounds into the Capitol complex. Mm -hmm. I mean, it looks like he actually he's either yelling at the guy to do it next to him. And it looks like at one point he actually puts his hand to push the fence over. Is that right? That's right. So Michael Jones is there with Dominic and Dominic Pozzola there. Now, Dominic Pozzola is a proud boy. Um, he was arrested in January of 2021. He spent almost two years in jail before he went to trial finally. And, uh, and he was also charged with seditious conspiracy along with four other proud boys. So the point is you see Michael Jones there, with um, one of the more well-known Proud Boys, Dominic Pizzola. Um, furthermore, in that body-worn camera footage, you see Michael Jones committing numerous offenses which have landed people in prison for years. And that is not only trying to push and move those barriers, but it also appears that he punches or lands his fist on one of the officers on the other side of that bike rack. I'm telling you, people have have been sentenced to five, six, seven, eight years in prison for assaulting police officers on that day. And here is this FBI informant who looks like he definitely is interfering with police. He's definitely striking police, at least with that bike rack. And then it looks like he throws a punch at one of them. Not, not very well thrown punch, but nonetheless, there he is. Um, and Michael Jones is an FBI informant. Um, it has been confirmed by Ross Story surprisingly, because they cover these groups like the Proud Boys and Patriot Front, which, by the way, Devin, you know, people suspect that the Patriot Front is an FBI uh, entrapment organization. So after January 6th, instead of get ar getting arrested for those crimes, he suddenly finds an interest in the Patriot Front and starts getting involved in their protests and demonstrations. So this, um, this Jones character. Yes. So the Jones character disappears never. He's not on the FBI's most wanted list. He doesn't get thrown in jail for years. We don't even know his name till now. I didn't know even who he was. Right. Um, and now then he went over to this other group, which, by the way, I never heard of either of these groups, which is the funny thing. Um, you know, was in Congress <laughs> for 20 years. And, uh, you know, no one is, a, you know, obviously somebody that runs around with, you know, big believer in conservative causes and, and conservative philosophy. I didn't know either of these groups, but. Right. What? So, so how did you learn about Jones, who's there on the screen right now? Um, when did we first learn about him? And then how have we put this together about him being there? Well, Ross Story is the one who sort of broke this in, a, in last month when they uh, and they had already been covering Michael Jones's activity in the Proud Boys throughout 2020. Now, Michael Jones is a convicted felon. He's a young guy. I think he's 25 now, but he's a convicted felon for statutory rape, drugs and firearms. But instead of spending years in prison, all of a sudden he develops an interest in white supremacy militia groups. And he is infiltrated, obviously planted in these groups, just like we saw in the Whitmer Fednapping hoax. And this was all happening at the same time under Christopher Ray's FBI. So then he ingratiates himself with the Proud Boys and now this Patriot Front. Um, but uh, so when Ross Story broke that, that he, you know, here was his problem. Oh, and by the way, he's an FBI informant. Um, and then just comparing pictures and body worn camera footage and then um, some other witness testimony. Keep in mind, the government stipulated at least eight FBI informants were involved with the Proud Boys before and on January 6th. But during the trial, Devin, um, defense attorneys got one government witness to admit that there were probably closer to 20 FBI informants in the Proud Boys. 
So this just raises more unanswered questions. Right, How which means that this guy right there, he, yeah. So, so just to, to be clear, if assuming that Ross story and this reporting is accurate, this guy Jones, FBI informant, would mean that he's being paid with taxpayer dollars. Mm -hmm. He's clearly breaking the law here, um, you know, far worse than what what I think a lot of people have been busted for. Well, definitely there. And then, of course, the next set of videos that match up with the mm -hmm. surveillance video that I have access to um, shows him going inside and outside the building at least three times. And at so, one point. Go ahead. Well, well what I was going to say is we have that video. Should we start to play that now? I think there's no there's not as much there's no audio with it. And maybe, Julie, before as we play it, maybe you can just walk us through what's happening. Sure. Will that be okay? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. All right. So let's play video two. Here we go, Julie. So this is the Senate parliamentarian door um, that had been breached. And this is around 2.44. So, oh, um, wow. There he is. There he is. Now, that is the third time that he entered that door. Prior to that video that you showed, he walked in and went to the office on the right. He left carrying a furniture leg, I believe. Um, so he was in and out of there a couple of times, but you could see him help shove, uh, push and break open that door that's on the left side. Now, surveillance video does not have any audio like body worn camera footage that we just saw, but you could see him there again. Yeah. He easily committed a half a dozen crimes on Jane and serious offenses. Right. Because these are the guys vandalizing property. One of the things that I said about, about this, this whole time is that, you know, Anyone who broke the windows, broke doors, I'm sorry. Like, I don't care why you were there. You don't have a right to destroy federal property. Right. Um, but sadly, I still don't know if anybody's been busted that actually broke windows and broke doors. Um, but I've seen a lot of people busted that were not even in the Capitol, that maybe were on the steps of the Capitol. Some were inside the Capitol, but there's no evidence they destroyed anything. Like this guy clearly has done now. We've seen it on the outside of the Capitol with the fence and the officer. And now uh, here with this video. Well, actually, the man, the individual that we just saw previously, Dominic Pizzola, he what he did break one of the windows um, outside the Capitol at about 12, 2.12 that afternoon. For that, Dominic Pizzola, as I said, was held behind bars for two years awaiting trial. Um, and so, but... Obviously, you should not break a window, um, but, right. you know, he certainly has paid the price. And, and But Pizzola and Jones... Are right are, there together. They're together everywhere in these these videos. That's right, exactly right. So, um, <laughs> and before this, there's a photo of Jones, and here's what in, in, is interesting. On Twitter, there are groups called Sedition Hunters. So these are online sleuths. We're told FBI assets who are trying to get all the J6ers arrested. They used to have a hashtag for Michael Jones, but since I've posted this video. Suddenly, they've gone silent and uh, don't seem really interested in making sure that the FBI arrests him for uh, what he did on January 6th. But, Devin, I have a lot more reporting on Michael Jones. Why he didn't spend 64 months in jail like he was sentenced to on pe previous crimes and instead became a recruiter for white supremacy groups and then his involvement in the Patriot Front, again, a suspected FBI entrapment operation. So what, so what is the, where, where is he from? Why did he not serve the time? It sounds like he, he broke, he was convicted, I'm guessing of the, of, of these mm -hmm. crimes. Right. And it was yeah. this, so this was in, uh, I'm guessing. So around two, the 2015, 16, 17 timeframe, he commits crimes. Right. Where, so uh, and maybe you don't know off the top of your head, but where do you know where those crimes were committed? And well, he was he took a plea deal in North, he's from North Carolina, so he accepted a plea deal. He was sentenced to 64 months for um, the, the last felony that he was charged with, which was possession of a firearm, but he'd already had a record, so of course, as you know, felons can't have um, have firearms. And so I'm still digging into this docket because it doesn't add up and why he wasn't serving out the 64 month sentence. And instead, uh, the very next year became, as I said, what Ross Dory describes as a recruiter for these white supremacy groups and is on the Capitol. Now, if he's a convicted felon committing crimes, he should 
be at the top of the FBI's most wanted list because most of the people, as you know, including <laughs> Dominic Pizzola, have well, no criminal record. Well, and it's not like if they felon. And if they busted, if they busted Pizzola, clearly they had to have this video. They definitely did. And they had to have known that this guy Jones was there next to him, and they had to have known about his criminal record. I mean, this is the FBI, by the way. So, but but right. they didn't have it, huh? That's wow. That's uh, quite something. Yeah. So, so Jones, just, so Jones walks free still today. Never right. arrested. Never arrested, never charged. Uh, sedition hunters have lost their interest in finding out Michael Jones and demanding that he be arrested and charged. So, um, but obviously they know who he is. They, mm -hmm. and he's all over the place, not even in this surveillance video. There's photographs and video. I also posted my piece on Substack of him with the Proud Boys earlier that day. The Proud Boys assembled at the Washington Monument at about 10. Michael Jones was there. They marched from the monument to, um, to uh, the Capitol building. And guess who else you see in the video with Michael Jones and the Proud Boys when they breach that first exterior barrier right before one o'clock? Guess who else is in that video? Well, I'm going to guess somebody, but then I don't want to be wrong. But Just I guess. think I'm... Ray Epps? Ding, ding, ding. Yes, Ray Epps. So mm -hmm. Ray Epps, Michael Jones, the Proud Boys, who knows how many other informants. Uh, you, and the guys in the so, orange hat. So Ray Epps, for people who don't know, this is the guy that was clearly caught on tape the night before where people that were there for the protest um, who were around in Washington the night before, he's telling everybody, go into Capitol. We're going into the Capitol. We're going into the Capitol. And and the, the patriotic Americans who are there to protest their government, which, by the way, they have every right to do, which has happened right. every single day I was in Congress. Somebody was there protesting, by the way. Um, he's telling them to go into the Capitol to break the law and, and, and two or three or four or five of them are, you know, look at the guy and start yelling, fed, 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 fed. Now, you guys have all seen the, the, the video, um, this guy now, and then he was, uh, seen near the Capitol, uh, while the speech was still going on, he's at the, he's at the very, so you're saying that, that, the Jones and Epps at that first breach, when Jones is saying, go into the Capitol that it's at that point. No. So that was a separate point. So Ray Epps um, was on either constitution or independence directing people to go to the Capitol. He said he went to DC to watch Trump's speech, but he didn't. So he's halfway between the two points directing people. But Ray Epps was at that first exterior breach point um, with Ryan Samsel. He whispers in Ryan Samsel's ear. I also have reporting on this in, on my Substack. Uh, so Ray Epps whispers something in Ryan Samsel's ear. Ryan Samsel confronts police, knocks over one of the first barriers. And that's how these protesters, including Michael Jones, the informant, and other Proud Boys and other informants um, got up those stairs that lead to the western side of the building. So here he is there again with uh, Dominic Pizzola, Jones. But in one of the videos on my Substack piece, you will see Ray Epps, uh, Michael Jones and Ray Epps in the same frame as they're running up those stairs towards the west side of the Capitol. Also, Ray what a, Epps... What a coincidence, but... Yes, the January 6th committee run by the Democrats and Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, the two Republicans, said that Ray Epps did nothing wrong, absolutely zero. And Ray Epps has said he's going to sue everybody you know, for defamation because he was not a Fed and he didn't do anything wrong and he was a Trump supporter. So, you know, that's Epps' side of the story. Jan 6 said he didn't, the committee did, said he did anything wrong, but you're telling me that Ray Epps just happens to be near Jones. Ray Epps played a pivotal role in the first exterior breach because he did speak to Ryan Samsel. I interviewed Ryan Samsel. He told me a different story than what he told the FBI two and a half years ago about what Ray Epps told him at that point. Um, he said initially Ryan Samsel told the FBI that Ray Epps said, hey, calm down. You know, the cops are here. They're doing their job. Um, but what Ryan Samsel told me and Ryan Samsel two and a half years later still has not gone to trial, by the way. And we know why, because they will be calling Ray Epps as a witness. Oh. Um, what, what Ryan Samsel. And is Samsel. So Samsel is is he's not he's not in prison, though. 
Oh, he's in prison. He's been. Oh, prison. you've been able to talk January, to him. Okay. January 2021. And the government keeps moving, delaying his trial. Two more than two and a half years, he's been behind bars, Ryan Samsel. Um, charged okay. with January 6th, and they're delaying his trial. So he is, is that the guy back. that we see in the famous video when Epps is like yelling, we're going to go into the Capitol and he pushes kind of head pushes the guy towards and they, they, you see the, those first bike racks fall. Yes. Ryan Samsel has the red hat, the MAGA hat. He turns it backwards. Got and it. that's when he confronts police. Okay. Right after so, right after. Okay. So that's, that's a good pre uh, primer. So what do we know about, um, so what do we know about, so Samsel is involved with who, what's his background? Why was he there? And did he, did he, does he know Epps from before? He did not know Ray Epps. Um, Ryan Samsel has a criminal record of his own. He probably should not have been in the Capitol on January 6th, but he is a barber from barber from Pennsylvania. Uh, and he decided last minute to go. I think he went with a friend or two and his girlfriend at the time. And so he was at that exterior, uh, breach point where people were kind of, like I said, the proud boys were kind of, and you see the guys in the orange hats, by the way, in the body worn camera footage, those guys in the orange hats also have not been charged and arrested. They're not on the FBI's most wanted list, nor the sedition hunters. So I've always had a question about those guys in the orange hats. I've been told, oh, they're proud boys from North Carolina. Well, why haven't they been charged either? Why is the FBI not looking for them? And why are sedition hunters not looking for them? So again, just raising more questions as to the volume of federal assets. Right. Uh, who, who, and the reason you say that the orange hat guys, they're there with the Epps. They're essentially all doing exactly the same thing that Samsel does. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Except Ryan Samsel was charged with assaulting police officers, but you could see very clearly Ryan Samsel did was not comparable to what Michael Jones did. Because Samsel didn't throw a punch. He knocked over these bike racks with the other people, knocked over a few police officers. Um, right. And he was up at this uh, lower at this lower West Terrace. And there's Michael Jones again. Yeah. Ray Epps committed crimes that others have been charged with, too. And if you'll recall, mm -hmm. Devin, in his lawsuit filed in May, his defamation suit against Fox News filed in May, um, he said that the DOJ had told him in May that he was going to be charged for January 6th. And here we are, what, two and a half months later, still no charges. Interesting. Okay. So back to Jones. So, so Jones is from your estimation. Now he goes to some, so he is not busted. Nothing happens to him, uh, after Jan six, he just kind of disappears, but, He's reappeared now with another group somewhere. Right. So after January 6th, he became involved in this group called the Patriot Front. And I'm sure a lot of your viewers are familiar. These are the guys who show up in khakis and like blue hoodies and they've got face masks on and they're supposed to be the new neo-Nazi group. And they'll just randomly show up in DC and start protesting. And then they're whisked off in some kind of van. Um, so this seems to be since the proud boys and oath keepers kind of falling apart, obviously, because they're considered domestic terrorists, this seems to be the next group that the FBI is either concocting entirely like they made up militias in the Whitmer fednapping hoax. They literally fabricated a militia, had the informants act like they were in, the char in charge of these militias, had their informants sworn in as you know commanding officers of an FBI-created militia group. Um, so we know that the FBI is capable of doing that, and, and mm -hmm. they're on record for doing it. So the question is, is Patriot Front, again, one of those same groups to bolster FBI Director Chris Ray's phony narrative that uh, domestic violent extremists, i.e. Trump supporters, and these so-called mm -hmm. militias pose uh, such a danger to the country. And how do you know that uh, Jones is part of this or was or participated in Patriot Front? So this is part of Ross Story's extensive coverage of Michael Jones and all of these groups. So that has been, um, there's photographs of him, there's video of him, um, you know, some of the Twitter accounts that follow alleged domestic violent extremists, they have him uh, on video attending these demonstrations and rallies. So that would be the next part of my reporting on uh, hmm. Mr. Jones. But Antifa, who was also in the news this week, Antifa is not 
a has not been designated a domestic terrorist organization. It's just an idea. Antifa right. is just an idea. That's right. what burning buildings that's all over the place, beat the crap out of it. Yeah, it's just uh, an idea. Yeah. Just imagining things. Mm -hmm. Wow. A lot of a lot of scary stuff here uh, in the news on Fake News Friday, Julie. Well, you've been a good sport today. Um, I, I want to get to the questions. Shoot. Um, let me see if we got. I'm going to try to get to them real quick here, Julie, sure. before we go. Um, let's see. I saw a funny one earlier, um, but I'm not going to find it I like it funny. Now. Okay. Um, so. Oh, well, this is a good question. Has anybody in the media ever followed one of these Patriot Front U-Hauls out of town? I mean, <laughs> seems obvious. I think they tried to, but, um, you know, the FBI is pretty good at evading normal people. So they probably had all the underground tunnels and, and back routes so they could get their, uh, get their props safely away from other people's iPhone cameras. So I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm, uh, I don't think we have, I know there's more questions, but I can't seem to get to them here because there's so many. Um, just comments. Yeah, just comments. But, uh, but overall, Julie, uh, this is a lot of, um, a, a lot of troubling information. So um, you can follow Julie uh, at Substack. Please follow her there. And, and I assume you even have where you can um, give uh, Julie Kelly some donations, right, to keep you going. Yes. So um, I did go out on my own on Substack. It's a really cool format and um, you can either become a paid or free subscriber. Like I said, get all of my work directly to your inbox. And um, I've got some pieces up, as I said this week, about Jack Smith's investigation and then the uh, search for Donald Trump's Twitter data. I'll have an update this weekend about what happened in court today uh, with Tanya Chutkin and the contempt trap the DOJ and, and um, Judge Chutkin are setting up for Donald Trump. Well, Julie, I don't know what we would do uh, without you. I mean, thank <laughs> God you had this great writing skill, writing about food and wine and all these great things, and you've just converted it over to be this great investigative reporter. So make sure people support Julie. And and Julie, thanks for coming on today. I know we'll probably have you on uh, again shortly because I there's going to so. be there's going to be breaking news, and I'm sure there'll be another fake news Friday soon. Well, thanks so much, Devin, for covering all my work. I really appreciate it. And of course, I'm happy to come on anytime. This is uh, a lot of fun. All right. It's Devin Nunes with Julie Kelly. We'll catch you next time.